Welcome to Westchester Words, Education, EdTech, and Publishing. In this final audio excerpt from the Publishing Now 21 Looking Forward webinar, co-hosted by Westchester Publishing Services and Publishers Weekly on April 6th, you'll hear from Dominique Raka, CEO and Publisher of Sourcebooks, Kathy Felgar, Publishing Operations Director at Princeton University Press, Tom Chalmers, Managing Director of Legend Times, and Lorraine Shanley, President of MPI Market Partners International, as moderator Jim Milliot, Vice President and Editorial Director of Publishers Weekly, asked them questions that were submitted by webinar attendees about what's next for the publishing industry, as publishers assess what the changes of the past year will mean as the publishing industry continues to move forward. In addition to the audio excerpt series, you can watch the entire webinar on Westchester Publishing Services' YouTube channel, and visit our website, westchesterpublishingservices.com, for additional content related to the Publishing Now 21 webinar. I hope you've enjoyed this audio excerpt series, and thank you for listening. We have lots of of questions uh, that were pre-submitted. One I'm going to start off with, and then um, we'll open up to some others. We have a question here is... uh, the informal learning arena, one with long-term growth. And I think we're talking here just about workbooks, activity books, and nonfiction, basically children's um, children's nonfiction. You know, and that was, you know, one of the big winners last year. I think that had the highest unit sales growth of all the, the major categories of book scan um, tracks. But interestingly, um, it was also one of the first ones to benefit from if you will, benefit from the lockdowns last year and the school closings in particular, when parents out there were panicked about how, what are they going to do at home? <laughs> so uh, that went way up. But in the last couple of weeks, um, based on the book scan data, the uh, sales that have actually gone down in uh, 2021 compared to, to 2020 at this time. And while it's um, still on, uh, higher than it was in 2019, and I think that market will continue to, to stay robust. I don't think we're going to see you know, the type of growth we saw, saw last year in that category. And I think it does point up to some of those other um, challenges that some of the publishers are, are looking at. You know, how can we replicate what, what, what happened last year? Um, and, and we'll see how that plays out over the course of the year. Um, uh, Lorraine, uh, you and I both know there's not a tremendous amount of great data what consumers are going to do, but if you had to take, uh, I guess, in terms of, you know, will the reading habits stay stay ingrained or will, you know, it start to lose, um, lose some of its traction now that one other thing starts to reopen? Do you think that's a, um, a realistic possibility and how, so how, how impactful will it be? Uh, just reading habits in general, right? Exactly. Yeah, I actually do. I mean, all the all the um, stats seem to point to that. And even McKinsey did a study where they said that at least eleven percent of online reading and and ebook purchasing will con- continue going forward. So I think as people get used to buying online, um, get used to downloading from their libraries, there will be a continuation. Now, whether there is a continuation in particularly the children's market, the workbook market, um, you know, everybody has their theories. I think uh, actually BookScan thinks that market will continue. It's hard to imagine it will. By the same token, you know, cookbooks may have peaked 
Um, certainly fitness has peaked. We've all been through that and moved on. Um, but I think a lot of it is, is anybody's guess. I would say generally, though, the market in 2021 will be strong. I said it. There you go. <laughs> and, and we're going to print it. So uh, we'll see how that works out. Um, and this is a question that we've received ahead of time, and I see it's up here now. Um, maybe Dominique, and maybe Kathy could address it any time over in the UK. So have front books received fewer ad promotional dollars opportunities due to the pandemic? And is that one reason readers might be turning to backlist books? Dom, you want to go first? Sure. Um, no. Um, so there have been, I think, obviously there have been certain kinds of promotions that have, have disappeared. Um, and the most notable of those would be at least to my mind, trade shows, which I saw Kevin posted a question about, and I have to admit, I never thought I'd say this out loud, but I honestly miss the Frankfurt book fair. I miss, I, you know, I know Jim, it's like, I'm shocked myself. Um, I, and, uh, and I miss seeing Lorraine at book expo and I miss, I mean, it's just like really trade shows, ALA it's all, it, this is definitely a thing that we're missing right now, but in terms of advertising dollars, I think we're actually spending more. The online platforms require a certain um, I would say amount of of uh, advertising spend, and uh, and we're watching a lot of different kinds of digital dollars, uh, digital players evolving, and we're certainly engaged with I think everyone. So so I think actually we're spending quite a lot on front list. My guess would be that the cost per front list launch dollar has probably increased. That would be my bet that that's true. Um, and what we're seeing is just that retail, brick and mortar retail is a, a easier, and we've known this all along, is an easier and more appropriate discovery mechanism. Right. Hey, Tom, how's that playing out in the UK? Yeah, no, it's... Um... It's interesting. We actually, as, uh, as Dominic says, we actually spend um, we actually spend more on um, front list titles than we have been doing. I think where the big shift is is actually online sales give much more of the power to the customer rather than the curator. So what we're actually seeing is where titles are building momentum, which is driven by that ad spend, building up customer reviews and word of mouth and that side of stuff, which happens online. We're seeing the growth in sales, so I think it's actually it's actually not not a move in advertising spend. It's it's a move in who's making the decisions on buying the books and what's what's popular and not. And I think while that sits more with the customer, you know, particularly via all the online platforms and you know, and outside of them, review sites, peer review sites, I think that's generating the growth in backlist sales. It's created um, a pure cycle of review, word of mouth, and purchase. So and that. So yeah, that, that that's where the backlist growth is coming from. Not so much in the in the ad spend. Well, from our side, we feel now we need to make the ad spend in order to get the snowball rolling into that next stage, rather than selling what it is now. Yeah, I agree with Tom. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet, I I do that I do want to mention is TikTok. So unbelievably, um, if you have not seen uh, the the TikTok 
um, effect on YA, for example, young adult titles, it's significant and, and making a huge difference. All right, very cool. Kathy, anything on the Princeton perspective on that dollars for the front list? It's not something I study um, at work, but I, my sense is that we spend just as much advertising front list. And um, I was thinking maybe it has to do with buying behavior around author events, you know, like if you're going in person to see an author, maybe you're more likely to buy the book there and then than you are on an online event. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, while, while we have you, we have, here's another question that appeared um, both on, um, on some of the, pre, the pre-questions as well as what you're getting now. And uh, Kathy, so we'll start there. In terms of domestic printing, are, are you seeing, are you trying to bring back more printing from overseas? And, and how do you assess the health of the domestic market for the time being? Well, I think that there are quite a few printers closed in the last, I don't know, 10 years in the U.S., and we're finally seeing the, the risk that was inherent in that all along. I think that printers had forced to get bigger for the most part to survive because as a printer, you have to keep investing in the technology to stay up to date, and some of the smaller ones just couldn't. I hope the capacity grows PUP is definitely doing a lot of simultaneous US-UK printings so we can maintain a global pub date. And we're we're doing more POD. We're I'm trying to find more printers, to be honest with you. And I'm looking um, more in Canada and in Mexico. And um it's it's definitely a problem. Dominique. What's your view of that, Dominique? Kathy said that so wisely. I have to say. You know, uh, we are paying for some short-sightedness that we uh, that we are that we had in the past, and I am really hoping that we are going to see people invest and grow printing businesses, hopefully in the United States as well as overseas. So, um, so that is certainly a hope of mine because this constraint that we are all operating under—look, you can't do the amount of growth that we're projecting as an industry and then cut back on the supply side. I mean, just the math doesn't work. So we're, we're going to have to make these things balance out. Right, right. Uh, and, and before we leave trade shows altogether, I'm just going to do a quick poll. Uh, whoever has, whoever's not muted right now. Um, so Dominique, I'll start with you. Um, will you be sending anybody in person, do you think, to any trade shows for in 2021, either domestically or overseas? No, I don't. I, I don't. It's a little bit early to to commit to this. So thanks, Jim, for asking. <laughs> um, um, but my my point of view at this point is is you know we we will keep every single person safe. So probably not. I I have trouble imagining it. Okay. All right, Tom. What do you, what do you think over in the UK? Yeah. Similarly, I mean, for us, we if if London happens and. It's, you know, it's pretty much just down the road from us. And if staff want to go for it, then, you know, want to go for it, we'll kind of leave it up to their choice. Then, you know, we'll probably have some people there, but internationally, not at the moment, I don't think. Um, I mean, even aside from, you know, anything else, the, the quarantine and restrictions and different stuff, it's um, like everything in a pandemic, it kind of changes quickly, but not, not at this point. I think we'll probably be visiting towards the end of the year. And Kathy, has Princeton uh, issued any guidelines on what, travel might be 
Not expecting any travel uh, for the rest of the calendar year, to my knowledge. Lorraine, you going anywhere? And what have you heard from uh, people here? I've basically heard the same thing. Nobody's going anywhere unless it's on vacation. Um, <laughs> and and part of the problem, I would think, with trade shows, I mean, it's certainly been the case with the, with Bologna and Frankfurt over the last year, is if you can't get a critical mass, it's not worth going. I mean, if you're if you're going to be sitting in your booth alone in a vast expanse, it's not that attractive. So you really have to have everybody come together or not do it. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And Lorraine, while we have you, um, you had mentioned HR and you had that great um, uh, post about the different things they're doing. Have you gleaned anything on what people are actually doing to try to uh, maintain company culture and build morale? I mean, I know PW, we have Zoom Fridays and other things, things like that. Is, is there anything more sophisticated than that going on? Most of the stuff I've heard is basically either um, holidays or, you know, no email days, basically trying to keep people from working too hard. There, there was a study done by Harvard um, Business School at the beginning, the you know, first few months of the pandemic that people were working, I think, eight and a half percent more a day than they had previously. And you think about that without vacations over 14 months, and you realize that burnout is, you understand why mental health and mental and physical health are the top of everyone's list of issues that have to be resolved. Right. Uh, Okay. Dominique, I mean, anything in particular you've done? Totally in agreement with Lorraine. And I think we, we need to have more fun. So I, and I know that this platform is not perfect for fun, but, um, but we've got to create it. Um, so we, um, we, for example, this, this week, we'll be giving out a set of wacky awards, which I have no idea what they are because nobody has told me what they are. So, um, so I will just, but, but I do think that, that we're missing connection and that you can feel it in, in people that we, we really yearn for it. And so creating uh, mechanisms for that, um, whether we're we're doing it, however you want to do it, um, we need to create that. Um, okay. So um, also, uh, Dominique, can I pick on you one more time? You have any uh, sense of when, you know, book tours might go um, back to in-person and how... How has virtual actually worked, do you think, these virtual book tours? I mean, I know it generates a lot more people usually attending an author event, but does that translate into sales? Or would you be happy with that? I don't think it translates into sales well. Um, and I think that's a consistent message that we have pretty much from everyone that I've talked to. And I don't know if Lorraine has different information, but it's 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 pretty challenging. Um, and I think it's challenging for authors. I think they, um, I think, I think, look, we're all in the business. We're, we're a serve, all of us, we're in a service business. We take, our job is to take care of our authors and our authors' careers. So, um, so not in love with, with this methodology for book tours. I think we got to come up with new ideas. We've got a really new idea that we're going to try out for, um, for E.L. James that you guys will hear about in May sometime that uh, that I'm wild about that I'm really excited about but but we've got to try we've got to keep experimenting and doing new things because what we've got right now I don't think is quite working as well as we had hoped Lorraine you may have a different I don't, I don't know if you've got different info 
No, I've actually been hearing the same thing that we're author tours, Zoom tours were very successful at the beginning. Now they've really petered out and the sales are minimal. I do think, and I'd be interested in your take on um, the children's model of, of a group of authors touring schools, which they've now translated to Zoom. Is there an adult author version of that that you know, could, could kind of keep the dynamic going? So you're not, it's not just one author and an audience, but there's a conversation. Yeah, we did one of that. We did a couple of those that, again, early on worked really, really well. Like, so you had, you know, four or 500 people. That's not, it's not looking like that yet right now, um, despite our best of efforts. But I think there's more to try. I think this is really about continuing to innovate, right? And continuing to come up with new ideas and new ways of doing it. The format is a bit limiting. So I think platform will matter too. Yeah, I think um, I was going to say from us. I mean, I think as I mean, one of the things that's always been frustrating about, or not frustrating, but the times of publishing ever since I started, kind of there's a lot of things that have always the way they've all, always been. And you know, as 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 Dominique said, you know, and she's someone I've always looked up to as being entrepreneurial and and kind of new ideas. Is that you know this kind of crisis, although terrible for you know, so there's so many challenges and things within it it is a time for innovation and trying new things and I think those who can try new things quickly and I think things like book tours and that kind of thing were already not completely creaking but or you know weren't what they were originally and I think there's going to be lots of different versions whether there's some kind of you know hybrid events you know like 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 we can have this event and there's you know you know hundreds of people on on the line you know is, is there a mix between the physical and that and I think there's going to be lots of interesting models I think it's it's a good time to try new stuff and I think there will also be an appetite from all um, retailers and elsewhere to try new stuff so I think it will, it's going to be good. I think if we talk again in the year I think book publicity models will look very different for um for new type right uh, we are, I would like to try to squeeze in this last um, question from, from an author. And it says here, how should authors be shifting their own creative process and marketing efforts to align with the shifts publishers are experiencing on their own? So I'm wondering, Dominique, if you start, have you had any changes in, you know, auth, you know signing authors and, you know, what, what's expected of them going forward? No, I think, I think, if if anything, so so no, I don't see a big shift there. But what this author is pointing to is a really interesting question, right? I think the question that that this person is asking is: Is there? Do we need to rethink if if the world that we've li- we are living in it has moved from sixty five percent frontlist to sixty five percent backlist? then fundament, the fundamental infrastructure that we've all built into our businesses needs to shift to represent that. And that includes the, the efforts that we ask from our authors. We need to be talking to our authors in different ways and asking different things from them. So, so that's, that's the question I think that's fundamental. And I don't know whether we have data on that. I certainly don't. I, I don't know whether the shift that we're looking at is going to be an ongoing one or whether we're going to go back to having the same frontless momentum we've had in the past. So, Kathy, from an academic author standpoint, is anything changing that you can tell or need to change? I would say 
to Dominique's point, keyword enrichment of the backlist is going to be important. And as, in terms of author behavior, um, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for authors trying to get their manuscripts in in the modern climate. And I would also say, if you have a topic relevant to the pandemic about plagues, um, that's <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I think that's a that's a, a nice pitch to end on. And uh, once again, this is Jim Elliott, uh, editorial director for PW. Thank you for listening to this audio excerpt from the Publishing Now Twenty One webinar. The entire webinar is available to view at both the Westchester Publishing Services YouTube page and our website, westchesterpublishingservices.com, where you'll also find bonus content related to the webinar. Be sure to follow us on your favorite streaming platform to be notified about new episodes when they become available or to find previous episodes you may have missed. You can also find all of the episodes plus additional bonus content that has been shared by some of our guests on the podcast page of our website, which is accessible from our homepage, westchesterpublishingservices.com. In the meantime, please share your thoughts or comments about today's discussion and tell us what topics you'd like Westchester to cover in future episodes by emailing us at westchesterwords at westchesteredsvcs.com. Join us next time when we'll be discussing another topic of importance to education, ed tech, and publishing. Until then, stay safe, be well, and stay tuned.